0: welcome to the entrepreneur's mba bringing you lessons from real life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school here's your host business coach and marketing strategist adam kipnis
1: there's a big saying in in the world of marketing and that is content is king the more content you have the more people will find you the better exposure you'll get and the more people will know about you but content for content's sake is not always the best path. You have to know how to use it. You have to know what people are listening for. You have to use the right languaging and the right words for your audience. And we're gonna talk all about content and books and blogs and how to make that a portion of your business and how to take advantage of it in the best way possible. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneurs MBA podcast. Appreciate you being here. And thanks to C-Suite Radio for hosting the podcast. And I also want to thank uh, my sponsor, The Wine Ambassador, which is the nation's fastest growing wine club. If you like to drink wine and want it delivered with somebody choosing high quality wines at a good price, go to wineadam.com and check out more information on their offering. It's a great way to get wine delivered to your house and have uh, good wine that you don't have to just pick off a shelf at the grocery store and not know what you're buying. Looking forward to the conversation today. Uh, As you know, I've got Uh, three books with another one coming out. Uh, You can get my book at freebookfromadam.com. It is eight steps to make more money in your business without spending any money on marketing or advertising. So go and download that. We'll talk about why that works and and how to market that. Jessica Schwartz, thanks for being with me today. I appreciate you having here for the conversation.
0: Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thank you so much, Adam.
1: Very cool. So We're going to get to the content and we're going to get to everything that you help your clients with. But I always want to know a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Was this something you were born doing or is this something that came later in life? How did you get to where you are today?
0: Um, I like to think of myself as kind of an accidental entrepreneur. Um, So I wasn't one of those kids that just like from birth, I was just dreaming of owning my own own business and working for myself. Um, I have no problem with the traditional nine to five. I did it for 10 years. Um, I graduated college when I was pretty young. I was only about 20 when I graduated with my bachelor's. And I went right into a job in corporate sales and business development for a small publishing firm in Florida. And I stayed there for a couple of years and then was had the opportunity to move to New York City, which is where I always wanted to be. And so at 23, I just kind of by myself on a wing and a prayer, I just moved to New York. And I didn't know anyone. And I just like found an apartment in Brooklyn and you know, ran forward with my life. the only experience I had in corporate was in sales and business development so I got jobs there um, and I progressively moved up and it was fairly lucrative and I'm I was very good at sales I think sales is a skill and technically can be taught but there's also an element of your personality and the charisma and the want to speak with other people and have conversations with anyone Um, and so it was something that was very interesting and challenging and lucrative for me Um, but it wasn't my passion and I didn't know what my passion was in terms of a corporate career. So I hit about 30 uh, a few years ago now, and basically I kind of realized that I'd spent 10 years in a career that I wasn't super passionate about. I, you know, I liked it, it was fine, but I wasn't fulfilled by it. And so I kind of, I've always been a writer. I have been, I've been keeping journals since I was a child. Um, And not like daily journals, but like writing lyrics and songs and poems and stories. And, you know, occasionally I might write about my day, but mostly it was creativity and an outlet and a way to process my emotions and the things happening around me. Um, And I'd been blogging online since the days of like MySpace and LiveJournal. So I have been actively blogging online since probably like 2002 um i've gone through everything live journal myspace uh blog i i currently have a wordpress and a medium like i've kind of just advanced with <laughs> all the different things but basically i wanted to be a writer and i wanted to see if it was possible and so i have a lot of sales experience i have a lot of marketing and business development so i just kind of put it out there and started looking for clients and within the first week or so i had about four clients that had signed a contract with me that i had literally Like found a template online and had a lawyer friend look at it for me just to make sure it was real and (laughs) viable, Um, and like sent it off to them with no real idea of what I was doing. I was pulling numbers just out of thin air. I hadn't done uh, really much research at all. I was just like, I'm going to see if I can find clients, and then if I can, if it's a viable opportunity, then I'm going to move forward with it, and then I'll do all the research and the planning. Um, So I had like four clients right away, and it kind of built to the point where. I was working, I would get home every night around 6.30 or 7. I'd freelance until midnight, go to bed and do it again in the morning. Um, And I loved it. It was something that I just never knew that it was a possibility for me. And so my husband and I kind of did the math. And we decided that if I could hit half of my current corporate salary, um, like a couple months in a row, then I could quit, then I could quit my job and just try to do it full time and just like really go for it and see if I could do it. And so I kind of was trying to be conservative. I was like, oh, maybe in like a year, I'll be at that point. Right. Uh, But no, uh, 90 days later, I quit my job. 90 days, almost to the day after getting my first client, the second and third month, I was already making well over half my salary just from freelance clients. So I just quit my job and I went about my merry way. And that was over three years ago. I've been freelancing full time ever since. So it's like, it's not like I had this dream of being an entrepreneur, but I I did have a dream of being a writer and an editor and working, uh, you know, doing something that really fulfilled me.
1: That's awesome. And you said your, your first job was in sales and business development for a publishing company. Did you stay yes. within the publishing world for subsequent No, roles? no,
0: I didn't. It was, uh, that was, it was a small company. I knew a couple of people that worked there that I had met sort of in and around my college town. I went to the University of Florida. So it's like a really small, like very college town. The entire town shuts down when, you know, when it's football day. Right. Um, <laughs> very much a, the traditional college town. So I'd known a couple of people in like, from mutual friends who worked at this small publishing company and I had actually applied to work in their HR department and uh, I was there uh, waiting for my interviewer to come out and I ended up kind of running into a couple of friends that worked there that we like sort of knew each other. So we were just chatting in the hallway and the sales manager like wandered by and told everyone to get back to work and I kind of like got sassy and told him I don't work here and we ended up, he and I ended up chatting for like 20 minutes and by the time the HR lady came out to do the interview. Uh, the sales manager was basically like, I'll take her. <laughs> so it like It wasn't, it was just, it was kind of an accident. Uh, honestly, that was kind of an accident too. So.
1: Very cool. And so, so then you left that job and you went to New York. Did, yeah. did you like target publishing companies? Cause you already sold there and figured no, that might I be wish. an easy in.
0: No, I wish. Um, so publishing is, so I live in the publishing Mecca, Brooklyn, New York, like New York city. Uh, it's where like, a lot of publishing houses are and trust me when i say like my dream job i would love to be an editor at a publishing company and like live my sex in the city life like i would love that um i wouldn't now i would not do it necessarily because they make less money than i do um but it's very difficult, so I, I had to make a choice. I didn't even apply for sales jobs at a publishing companies here because there's no crossover. If you're in the sales and customer service department of a publishing company, there is very little to zero chance of you making in the transition into the editing and publishing side. Um, it's very segregated still, and that's still the case as far as I understand it now. Um, and so. Even now, like, I have several years of book editing and writing experience, and even now, like, I'm really not qualified to work in a corporate publisher. Like, I'm, like, what I, my experience is not what they're looking for. Interesting.
1: Even even with the success of the publishing of other people's books and your own books... Um, they really look for, I, I,
0: it, especially, especially. That's not true with all of them. So there are younger hybrid publishers. There are smaller indie publishers that are looking for those people. They want people that are kind of like with fresh perspectives and they're coming in from a different background. But when you look at the tr- the traditional big, like the Big Five or like a Penguin Random House, like they're not looking for. They want somebody with, com- com- like, very specific very transferable experience. So they're looking for people who have a publishing related degree, who did an unpaid internship as like the gopher at a publishing house and like worked their way up, which I think is awesome. And it's something I totally would have done if I had the opportunity to do it many years, many years ago when I graduated college. But I, uh, I mean, like I said, it's not, it's not that it was a passion of being an entrepreneur. The interesting thing is that If the right thing, if the right opportunity came along and it was like something that I really just fell in love with, I would absolutely go back to a traditional job. I think that there are advantages and disadvantages on both sides. And as a freelancer, I mean, I'm a full time freelancer and that means that you are always marketing, you are always hustling, you are always producing content and putting things out in the world and getting exposure and marketing yourself. Because it's cyclical and it's unstable. And I can't, I can't, there's no guarantee that any paycheck I make this month is gonna be equivalent or more next month. When you go on vacation, there's no paid time off. You know, you don't have health insurance through your job or a 401k. Um, But you get the passion and the love and you control the process and you get to do whatever you want. Um, I can literally wake up one day and be like, you know, I think I feel like seeing if I can be an illustrator today and start reaching out to clients and seeing if anybody wants to take my drawings. Like I, I can add verticals and offerings and change my prices and my approach and who I'm marketing to on a whim, and it's awesome.
1: That's very cool. And, and, and with your sales background and the fact that you're a writer, most small businesses out there, probably most of your clients, have neither of those skills. They can't write <laughs> and they can't sell. They might be good at what they do, usually, but they can't do the things that you bring to those. the table.
0: Usually they're good at one of those things. Actually, it's funny because I – because I have a specifically sales background, it was very natural for me to start cold messaging potential prospects and reaching out and having conversations and understanding the sales cycle and how to market myself. Um, And it's really funny because I didn't know it at the time, uh, but I have since met quite a few editors and writers who hate marketing or don't understand it or hate sales or think it's stupid and irrelevant. And it's so funny to me because I, I just didn't know that a lot of writers and editors and creative people just have zero concept of how to sell themselves and how to sell themselves effectively. Um, whether they want to understand it or not, many of them don't see how that's relevant to them. They're like, you know, I'm writing, my writing is great, I shouldn't need to do anything else. Um, whereas I'm the first to say, I, I've, I've said it before, I will say it again for the rest of my life, I am not the best writer in the room. I'm not the best writer in the world. What I am is a good writer who is somebody that people want to work with. I make my customer service extremely easy. My clients know that I will respond to their emails and texts. They know I am available. I will be responsive to them in terms of updating them on the progress of things. I have an ironclad contract that I'm not afraid to ask for. I know my worth and I explain it to them and I'm able to sell myself. Yep. And so, like, I, I may not be the best writer in the world, but I make damn sure that I'm somebody that people want to work with.
1: Well, and being the best writer in the world um, is a very interesting thing, right? Um, total quick aside here. So, I, after college, I had a history and poli sci degree, and no one really hires those people in a good economy, but I happen to be graduating. You're talking to a- an
0: anthropology degree, so okay. I get
1: you. <laughs> Perfect. I graduated in a bad economy in 94. There were no jobs for anybody. So I, I went to Europe, and in Europe in 1994, no TVs. We, we read all of the books we were supposed to have read going all through college. right? And this is a really long-winded way, but I'm going to get to my point. <laughs> if, um, what, two of the authors that we read a lot of were F. Scott Fitzgerald
0: sure.
1: and Ernest Hemingway.
0: Sure, Classics. because.
1: We, yeah, we were in Prague in the 90s and everyone there wanted it to be like the same as Paris in the 20s. That's what we kept telling ourselves, that people are going to talk about this forever and ever. And so we read all of the books from everyone who was in Paris in the 20s and, and writing them. Now, F. Scott Fitzgerald takes 100 words where five words will do. Yes. And Ernest Hemingway takes
0: exact opposite. three words
1: and makes it feel like 100, right? Yep. Totally opposite. Now, my point they're both, is. They're
0: both great writers because great writing is subjective.
1: Right. They're, they're that both. Your point? They, and they're, they're both brilliant. But what I'm saying is, there are great writing doesn't necessarily have to be great writing. And I'm using oh, air quotes. No. It's no, got to be effective writing. It's got to be, right? Yeah, so, I'm not
0: saying I'm a Bronte sister. What I'm trying to say, <laughs> when I say I'm not the best writer, what I mean is, what I mean by that is that, like, writing is subjective. Writing is. Interestingly, at least I think it's interesting, writing, much like music and singing, it's, it's an art and it's both a talent and a skill. Like You can be naturally good at it and you can also improve upon an unnaturally good person. Like You don't have to have natural talent to be good at writing or music or anything else. You can practice your way to mastery. Um, what I mean by being a good writer is writing comes fairly easily to me. Whether I'm writing my next book or someone else's that I've ghostwritten, whether I'm writing a blog for a company I've never heard of before in an industry I'm not familiar with, whether I'm writing a script for someone's video for an e learning course that they're doing, or last year I wrote a comic book that was awesome and something I'd never done before. Um, I did, I I write quite a bit of uh, like copywriting, like doing like uh, marketing emails for people or like website pages, things like that. And it's all things, they're all different styles of writing, but, and none of them are Ernest Hemingway, but (laughs) writing comes fairly easily to me. I I really love words. I love language. I love being able to evoke an emotion or put together words in a a particularly fun turn of phrase that makes you feel something. Um, And so all I mean by not being the best writer in the world is that for whatever you need, there's probably several dozen writers in a 10-mile area who could fulfill that role. Like, I'm saying that what I have, while I know I'm good at it and I enjoy doing it, it's not unique. Like, (laughs) and I know that. But it doesn't have to be. As long as you're good at what you want and what you're doing, and you can sell yourself and people want to work with you and they like what you're doing, and that's what matters because it's not a world of scarcity. I mean, in my experience, the more successful I am, the more opportunities there are. I mean, they don't seem to run out, whether it's me or other people. So I don't want to live in a world where I have to feel like, oh, if that person's doing well, then that must mean I can't, I can't be successful.
1: Right, right. And, well, and, and there's an endless number of people that you can work with because a lot of people need just a different way to put their words on paper. So if I say it to you and you enjoy writing and you've written a lot of stuff, it's gonna come off of your keyboard or your pen very differently than it will for totally. me, right? And so if I can explain myself to you, you can put it in a language that other people can understand where- Absolutely. I may Especially not be able to. Especially depends on
0: audience. It always depends on your audience too. I mean, like I, I get to draw from kind of my sales and marketing background when I'm doing copywriting. And then, but I love research. I'm very type A. I'm very like, I like things to be planned. I love research. Um, every year when I schedule our family vacation, like I'm like very specific. I have everything <laughs> booked. I know exactly what we're doing. Um, But I have, uh, I love doing research. So when I'm writing blogs, just like general blogging for a company, like a great example is like I have done blogging of like current events within the cannabis industry. I've blogged for cannabis industry companies, like cannabis companies in California or Seattle, um, where I don't have a ton of experience. Like there's nothing on my personal blog about cannabis companies and like the current events happen, the the regulations around the world as they're changing and as studies are done. But it's interesting to research and find out more information. And I'm a generalist, so I actually have like a a little bit of information about a lot of different topics. So it's one of those weird things where like I have like a small nugget of knowledge on almost anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, I like to say I can go this deep and I'm doing a little inch deep on a thousand different topics. If we have to get deep into the conversation, I'm going to be dead in the water. But if oh, you yeah, were- I got
0: about like three topics that I can go like ocean deep on, but I have probably like forty that I can go like puddle deep on.
1: Oh yeah, I could. You want to talk cannabis? Oh, I can go there with you. Talk politics? We can do that. You want to talk about
0: yeah? We got global warming. Sure. Of like most things.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're talking with Jessica Schwartz on the Entrepreneurs MBA podcast, just talking about writing and content and how important it is, but don't overthink it. Find someone who understands you and can help put your ideas on paper. That's what Jessica does for her clients, whether it's through blogs, whether it's through content for a website, or whether it's through books. So I wanna turn it a little bit to to books. You've got three books with one more coming. I've got two books, well, I've got four written, two published, and two more coming. I've just gotta get off my ass and actually put them Are out still there. Are you self-publishing? Um, one was published by um, a non-traditional but more traditional type publishing company, a small publishing company that just deals with with coaches and consultants. The second one I self-published, and that's free book from adam.com. That's just essentially me putting it out there for marketing. And then uh, the other two are going to be published by a local uh, friend of mine who owns a publishing company. Cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going super big. I'm using my books for distribution. and and. Marketing, marketing and distribution tools,
0: exposure promoting absolutely
1: i still have a check for like four dollars and eleven cents from the one book i actually sold on amazon i didn't even cash <laughs> actually, it just because it entertained me
0: published <laughs> i self-published two of my books and honestly it's not a terrible like it could be worse like i it's not a lot of money like i make maybe like 100 to 200 dollars a month off of just those two books on amazon i mean not to mention like other distribution channels Um, but it's also something that like, I've noticed as time goes by, like that money is like slowly, but steadily going up. And in my mind, I'm like, maybe in 10 years, I'll make money off of my books.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for everyone out there, don't write a book to make money off of it. Um, there are some money
0: from my books. Let me clarify. Yes. I have made as an author, I've made tens of thousands of dollars, like not even 1% of that is from book sales. Uh, My books act as a lead generator. They act as a, people can join my mailing list from the inside of my books, and they do. Um, I've used my book as a free book, just like you have, in order to promote something else or to get exposure. Um, I have gotten clients specifically because they've Googled my name and saw that I'm a published author and that I have experience and thought leadership within a certain space. Um, it is absolutely one of the best marketing tools you can have for yourself as an entrepreneur.
1: I, I agree. And, and, and I love that you said that because that's exactly where I want to go with this sort of line of questioning. So I've got my free book. I give it away. And then I can use that book in a number of various different formats. It can be part of uh, a blog. It can be part of an article. It can be my drip campaign when we're, do, when I'm doing an email series to new people, right? So you can do it in a lot of ways, but why why is being an author so important? And this is—I'm going to go into your your psychology background because when people get get announced, like you could be on TV, you could have a successful company, you could say you're a CEO, but if people being hear you're an your author, author is an
0: additional layer,
1: and, and it changes it. Why? Why is the book so valuable in your experience for so business owners? So I've thought as a lot as about, about
0: this actually. Um, it's it all comes down. I believe it all comes down to your perceived credibility um perceived authority and credibility. So technically any moron can write a book. Like that's anyone can like anyone has the ability to. Do it. Does that mean it'll be good or that it'll be published or that it'll make any money? No, not necessarily. But technically it's a thing that anyone can do, right? Yep. So uh but it comes down to perceived credibility. If you have a book that is objectively successful, it's won an award, it became a bestseller in some area, it uh, is something that people have purchased and left good reviews on. Even if you have 10 reviews, if you have 10 five star reviews, that's saying a lot. 10 people bothered to take time out of their day when they don't even review you know, the dress they spent $2,000 on
1: you right. know, and <laughs> to say
0: that they liked it um, and that it's like a good resource for them. So it's perceived credibility. It positions you as a, as a thought leader. The average person who doesn't write a book is going to look at that and say all right this person is clearly experienced enough and has enough knowledge to fill a book with and and have it available for purchase and there are people who have read it and been happy with the results so there's an immediate perceived credibility and authority which then translates to um, people saying oh well if this guy's if this guy knows so much about this topic i would i want to work with him i want to use his company to do the next time i need that service Um, And then there's also this uh, fear surrounding book writing. Uh, Something like 82% of people in America have said that they would like to write a book someday, and most of them won't. Um, Because the idea of writing a book is just this huge thing. Um, like the idea of like, I'm going to sit down and write a book for most people who do not write in their everyday lives. My husband's a perfect example of that he just is not a good writer. He doesn't enjoy it. It's not something that comes easily to him. So the idea of writing a book, even if he has all the knowledge in the world, is just not something he's going to do. Um, but it's also a challenge because like, think about it. I'm, I'm certainly not a carpenter. So the idea of building a house is not something I'm ever going to do. But If you take any major challenge, any major thing that you want to do, any project in the world, renovating a bathroom, writing a book, uh, you know, teaching a class, whatever you want to do, you have to break it down into, into manageable steps. I mean, it really comes down to you're not building a house. Like the first step is maybe like drawing a design and like paying someone to draw you a blueprint. You know, and, and so you, you start breaking it down. And so when it comes to writing a book, a lot of people think like, oh, I have a great idea, and they just start typing. Um, and, and you really get two types of people in that situation. You get one, and this is not 100% of the time, there will be exceptions, but most of the time, there are two responses to that. One, they start writing, it's going great for a few chapters, and then, you know, all of a sudden, they realize that they kind of went off on a tangent and have no idea how to bring it back to the point. <laughs> and they don't have an outline, so they're not entirely certain what the point in that area was supposed to be, nor they also have difficulty coming back and keeping the, the momentum rolling because they haven't planned a schedule, they don't have an outline, they're not really sure where the book is going next. So it becomes challenging and they quit. The other type is one who will start writing and then get frustrated and quit altogether and just not even try to push, put it all together. And, and to be fair, like, if you just start writing and you don't have a plan in mind, yes, it can be very difficult to get to the point. You're more likely to go on a tangent, you're more likely to miss out on what you're trying to say, you're more likely to have a weird order where like, someone reads it and it feels like it just jumps around a lot. Yep. And it's more difficult to put it in the right order if you've already written you know, 60,000 words. So I, I truly believe that when people think of the idea of I'm gonna write a book, uh, it's, it's a big, big idea. It sounds hard. So a lot of people don't want to do it. But if you think about it in terms of like, first, I need to come up with an idea and then I need to just kind of create a, an outline, create a bullet point list of like, what would I want my book to say? And they're able to like break it down into manageable steps. It becomes so much easier. Um, but to most people, they don't see that. So seeing someone who did successfully write a book feels very impressive.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And, and, you know, I, when I wrote mine, right? I, the, the first one was literally just a, a number of different ideas. Each became a chapter. The, chap, the chapters together became a book when you put some transitions in, right? I'm not saying it's a genius it might book might not be the most cohesive thing in the world,
0: but it works.
1: <laughs> but it works, right? And, it, and, it, and it's, it's sort of built that way. It's not a novel. It's a nonfiction book on how to be more organizationally effective in a business.
0: Absolutely agree. My first book is very similar.
1: Right? Organizational effectiveness is not about um, you know, having a climax at the end that everything's leading to. Yeah, right.
0: and you're not you're not sitting there writing, you know,
1: creating now, complex. This, right? Um, so actually my first two books are like that. But when you're writing a book, you don't actually have to write the book, right? That's where people can work with you or someone like you, where they can bring their knowledge to the table. They can bring the idea and have you put the words together as a ghostwriter. Tell us a little bit about, just what you do as a ghostwriter and how people can get out of their own head of, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to write a book. And then they don't do it right? because they, they've got the knowledge in them. They just don't oh, know yeah. the resources I mean, is available.
0: Ghostwriting is so much more time and labor intensive than people assume. But the basis of ghostwriting is you are taking the author, the original author's expertise and knowledge, concept and ideas and you're just, like, basically, if you were to do just a huge grain dump of everything that you wanted to talk about on a certain topic and give that to a ghostwriter, <laughs> and the ghostwriter is able to go through and find commonalities and find a structure and order that makes sense and put it in the right order, and then gives it, gives it back to you and says, hey, what do you think of this order? And you're able to come to it and say, as the expert, you're able to look at it and say, all right, Um, Some things are missing, but also this looks really good, I'd never thought about it that way. And then they're able to basically take, the ghostwriter takes all the expertise that this person has. And sometimes it's interesting, you know, some people who don't consider themselves good writers or who want to use a ghostwriter because they don't have time or they just, you know, for their various reasons, um, sometimes they'll find that they'll like record themselves just uh, dictating their thoughts and information and then the ghostwriter is able to use that to kind of get an idea of their cadence and their tone and their voice, um, and use that to make the book sound more like them. Um, we do a lot of interviews to try to get, like it's it's not something that the, the person, that the author would just be like, all right, write me a book about marketing, bye, see you in a year. Like it's, <laughs> it's labor intensive, it's like time intensive for both parties, which is why, and it's also quite expensive. Right. Um, and I would say probably At least 70% of the time that I've been approached as looking for ghostwriting, at least 70% of the time, the person is actually a decent writer. They need some sort of accountability and support maybe, um, but really they don't need a ghostwriter, they need a good editor. Because a good developmental editor is taking a finished manuscript and going back and looking at the order and the structure and the word choices and the diction, and you're looking for not just proofreading, it's not a copy editor. A developmental editor is someone who's taking a completed manuscript and really, like, zhuzhing it. They're, they're not just doing the, the final polish with, like, grammar, syntax, and punctuation. They're actually going in and, like, changing sentence structures and rewriting certain paragraphs to make more sense. Even, like, reordering things, being like, you know what, chapter four would be way better as chapter two. Um, and the, but the difference is, is they're coming into a, complete, a manuscript that has been written. Um, but I'd say probably 70% of the time, people who think they need a ghostwriter just aren't super familiar with edit- editing options. Like, they either think they're a really crappy writer, or they don't know that a developmental editor exists.
1: Well, I, I would, I'd, I mean, I knew it existed. I don't know that I would have known that that title of it until you know, just how now. How could you? Right? Until
0: you get to the point where you <laughs> One, where would you get that information
1: right exactly see that's the kind of information you get here on the entrepreneurs mba podcast and so when you've got all of these different things you got you can write a book you can do a blog you can you content for your website and all business owners need some semblance of those things oh, yeah. and i mean without knowing businesses you can't say which one knows needs what but course, as, as like
0: everybody process, needs something Right. Everybody has to produce something.
1: Exactly. And as a concept, how do you or how can we help the audience in the last few minutes that we have just sort of think through? Because it's like doing a blog is great, but
0: you can repurpose. So uh, I personally am a huge fan of blogging. I love blogging. I've been blogging forever. Um, In fact, I've never once had a portfolio, I've never had any like formal writing you know like anything formal like a portfolio that i could send people when people want to see my writing samples i send them to my blog um and i write a lot about freelancing and entrepreneurship and writing and reading and books and uh promoting books and writing books um but i also write about just stuff i find interesting because i think it makes you a more three-dimensional like real human to write about more than just one topic even for companies Um, so i always encourage entrepreneurs, and business owners to have a blog. There's a lot of reasons for that. But let's talk like strictly data. So one, you encourage site visitors to stay on your website for longer. Two, you organically, without having to pay for ads, you will rise in the SEO search rankings on Google by producing new and original content regularly. And three, you're encouraging visitors to come back to your site more often, therefore driving up traffic. The More times you can get people on the site, the more likely they are to become a client. A customer. Um, in addition to that, you're, because again, it's it is it's not just like head in the clouds, I like writing about stuff, like there's data-driven points of like why you should be producing content regularly, um, and then repurposing it. So if you're writing a blog and you have all these good things that are coming from the blog, the next step would be to take that blog topic and look at your back end and look at the analytics. All right, 20,000 times this article was shared, like let's say you have like one article that just went viral, Or, or let's say your best article had two hundred and fifty views because you've because it's a new blog and people don't know about it yet. Take that topic. Clearly, people are interested in it. Clearly, it's your most liked article. Take that topic and let's write. uh, Let's do a YouTube video around it where you're talking more in depth and giving examples and really being able to show your knowledge and your passion. Take that topic and. Cross-post the blog on something like Medium, which is a free blogging platform that allows cross-posting. Put it on your LinkedIn, another place where you can have cross-posting with the same content. Put it on, most people don't realize that Pinterest is actually a huge driver of traffic online um, and has become, especially in the last five years, a significant driver of blog traffic.
1: So you
0: can take like a quote and a photo from your blog and you can just super easily throw it up on Pinterest because... Pinterest will like automatically link back to wherever you pinned it from. So you can just have, and it'll automatically take the title of it. So you can, you can just click it and have it like send it over to Pinterest or you can actually like add a quote, add more information, we'll um, it on Twitter and on your other social media platforms. And so the more you can spread it around, obviously the more people will see it. But in addition to that, if it's a topic that's already performing well for you, then not only are you going to expand on that topic by repurposing and adding to the content and putting it other places, but you're also going to take any comments and questions and people reacting to it. And it's going to give you more ideas for more content within that topic. So like, let's say a good example, um, one of my blog posts that has done well was I hit my first $10,000 month uh, last year and I wrote about it. And I didn't write about like oh the hustle or the grind. Like I literally was very straightforward about like this is the type of client I have. This is breakdown of my salary. This is where I was earning money from. You know my blog earned X. My Amazon royalties were Y. And I you know this client is two thousand dollars a month. This client is one thousand dollars. And I just like really broke it down. And it was something that people really, really responded to. You know, a lot of people were commenting things like, oh, you know, most people just talk about, oh, you know, selling my courses or selling my books and doing all these, you know, not actually making their income from writing anymore. Um, And I'm able to take that content and not only share it on my blog, but I'm able to do a video about it. I'm able to dig into the comments and see where people talk about oh, you know, it's not fair that a lot of writers start making money and then they stop writing. They start selling instead of writing.
1: Right, um, right.
0: And so I'm able to take that as another topic and be like, hey, you know, this is something we should be talking about. Um, you know, people who ask about, people will comment and ask, well, how did you get to $1,000 a month for that client? Like, what does that mean? How did you get to that number? So I'll write another blog post about um, where I came to the number Thousand a month and what that includes and how I presented in in my sales pitch and how I have my contract to show like the breakdown of that for the client, um and and really break it down so it's like one idea one piece of content can really uh, expand out to be other other platforms other content uh, engagement and interaction with with readers and followers, and I think it's important. You know uh, I don't do as much blogging for. companies as I used to. It used to be like the main thing I do. These days, a lot of what I do is manuscript editing, which is one of my favorite things. Um, And then I've recently started working with a couple different e-learning companies and uh, doing uh, like editing their courses, like the scripts and the video. Like I don't do the video editing. I do the editing, the writing for the videos. Um, And I find that extremely interesting. I just, I really like to learn. So like doing things like that is super cool. gotten to work with publishers like uh, not just vanity publishers but hybrid and indie publishers as a freelance editor so i love doing stuff like that so that's that's one of the rad parts about being uh a freelancer is you really can pick and choose what you want to do and who you want to do it for but i wanted to touch on marketing something you mentioned earlier about how important marketing is and selling yourself and i get a lot of questions about like where do i find clients and um i think One of the most important things is I follow up with previous clients. So a lot of my current clients are referrals uh, from previous clients. And that is because I am not afraid to about every three to six months, I will shoot an email to every client I had in the last 24 months and just check in. You know, hey, how are you doing? Loved working with you in 2018. Just wanted to check in, see if you or anyone you know needed any writing and editing services. Oh, you know, fun fact, I recently did X, Y, and Z for this other company and I just thought it might be cool. So if you want to check it out, click here. Like not selling them anything, just like sending them like a free, you know, a little link to like an article I wrote on my blog or something that maybe, you know, maybe it'll be useful to them. I don't know. They can, they can delete it. Yep. So I always ask for referrals and check in with previous clients. Uh, I do look at some job ads, like uh, ProBlogger and Flex Jobs and, um, you know, like online job boards. Uh, I find that LinkedIn is basically useless for freelance work, like they have some, but like thousands of people will apply to it. Uh, Surprisingly, I get a couple, I do get clients, every year I get at least a few clients from Craigslist. Like I'll, I'll look at ads and every now and again I'll see one where it's like clearly just like an individual looking for a manuscript editor or like a company looking for somebody to do like one blog a week and things like that. So I'll, I'll wade through Craigslist. Um, I don't really use any, I really don't use any like Upwork and constant content. I, I, don't, I don't like them. I think that they are a race to the bottom and it perpetuates a vicious cycle of quantity over quality.
1: I, well, I've, I've, I've used Upwork and I've used Fiverr and you get what you pay for, I guess. Yep. I guess that's and why it, they say and that. when
0: people are willing to take a one cent per word and then the company is surprised that they're getting one cent per word quality.
1: Right. No, exactly. Um, yeah, you've given me a ton. So the last five minutes for everyone listening, listen to that last five minutes over and over again because Jessica gave you like eight ways to monetize any piece of writing, any piece of content you have from a blog to a video to repurposing it to email. She gave it all and she just listed it out. I don't know that she knows. She just gave away like $50,000 worth of content in a five minute period of time. I give it away for free on my blog every day. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, we give it away free here, right? That's, yeah. that's the whole point. But that was genius. And so I want to thank you for for being here. I want to thank you for just the amount of information you just gave everybody—it was raw, it was real—and uh, if they listen to one thing that you said, they will make more money in their business. I uh, hope so.
0: I really believe that you know marketing. Just don't be afraid of it, man. People, I don't get it. I, I, I mean, I get it to a certain extent. Like sometimes you just don't like talking to strangers. Like I get that, but like I've written like templates. Like if you look at my blog, if you ever go to medium.com/slash at Jessica Schwartz. Uh, there are, I have templates of like email templates that you can send to people and just plug and play to tailor it to like jobs that you're looking for. I can do, uh, I have my entire contract. I posted it online for free for people to just copy and paste. If you don't have one, um, there is a lot of contradicting information online. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, including me, you know, if something I'm doing doesn't work for you, don't do it. Everyone should do themselves and be happy with what they're doing. But if you're not happy with where you are, like you only are going to stay in the same place unless you take action.
1: Agreed. And and finding good partners that can fill in gaps where you don't have the time, the expertise, Lord. or the desire to do it. That's where <laughs> I come in on the, the strategic planning and marketing side. That's where Jessica comes in on the content, the the writing, and just the, the different ways that you can parse the same thing over and over. Jessica, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for the content. I really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Entrepreneurs MBA podcast. Definitely um, connect with both Jessica and I. Um, both of It's just our names on all social media. Jessica Schwartz, Adam Kipnis on all social media. You can go find us. Thanks again. Look forward to having you on the next one.
0: You've been listening to The Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.